big day in the farming and public calendar is getting closer. Open Farm Sunday is just two months away. Every farmer has a fabulous story to tell and the public are just desperate to hear it. And with a focus on the industry's green credentials, this year's Great British Beef Week is on now. British beef is one of the most sustainable farming production methods in the world. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you've had a good week on farm. It's still very dry, isn't it? And starting to cause a little concern. We'll check the week's forecast at the end of the programme and Sean Sparling will be talking about the effects of the dry spell along with some timely agronomy advice a little later. Plus, Kit Dickinson is at the market. There's been another spate of farm accidents, leaving four people dead already this month. Clearly, there's no sign of a reduction in farming's accident and fatality rate, which is the highest of any UK industry. Obviously, our thoughts are with those affected, and we'll talk more about this with NFU Deputy President Stuart Roberts, who made an impassioned plea for a change in attitude recently on next week's farming programme. Now, did you know that UK beef production boasts a carbon footprint of less than half the global average? Ladies in Beef are once again spearheading Great British Beef Week, which started on Friday and this year is shining a spotlight on the beef industry's environmental credentials. One of those ladies in beef is Millie Fife. Good morning. Welcome to the Farming Programme. Morning, Steve. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you. Now, we're talking about the Great British Beef Week, which is on at the moment and runs until the end of the week. What's this all about then? Great British Beef Week has been in existence for 11 years now, and it's been organised by the group called Ladies in Beef, who I am a member of. And really, it's to raise awareness for the British beef industry and inspire everyone to enjoy British beef And also highlight the fact that British beef is one of the most sustainable farming production methods in the world. So, you know, just just sort of really championing all that is great about the British beef industry. Now, given that we can't really get out and do events and things like this, uh, how is this actually being promoted this week? A lot of it will be either online through social media, um, but also by working with local radio and the newspapers to obviously highlight everything that is wonderful about our industry. I know that there'll be many beef farmers around the country that will be posting on social media about what they do, whether or not that is um, producing fantastic suckler beef um, or if they're finishing beef. And also People will be posting recipes about uh, how you can prepare beef um, very simply and easily for the whole family. Now, Minette Batters, the NFU president, she's also Ladies in Beef co-founder, spoke the other day saying that the the sector's got an awful lot to celebrate and be proud of just now, producing a fantastic, affordable products, renowned across the world for its quality. But we do it in sustainable ways. How do you achieve sustainability in beef farming? Well, we have quite low food miles. Um, I know on our farm, we're a suckler beef herd here, and everything is born and raised on farm, and it's only about five miles local abattoir. So in terms of traceability and sustainability, it's quite a, uh, a low impact. And we graze um, areas are unsuitable for growing anything else um, and many farmers around the country also produce 
their own food for the cows to eat. And beef cattle are great converters of grass into meat. And um, obviously that's involved with it, with the carbon cycle. And equally, um, we adhere to high welfare regulations through the Red Tractor Assurance. So by looking at all those different techniques and production methods, that really helps to increase the sustainability or promote the sustainability of our, our system. And let's not forget all the wonderful things that you can do with the end product. I mean, there's so many meals and different recipes that you can produce from beef, aren't there? Last year, during the first lockdown I created a food blog called No Fuss Meals for Busy Parents. Um, I'm a mum of two and I enjoy not only um, farming but also getting the children involved and cooking nice meals. During this week I've put a few videos and recipe ideas on the Facebook page and the Instagram page and my website And some of the recipes include cheesy meatballs, pasta, uh, Chinese beef, and then good old beef burger. And nobody can beat a good roast beef Sunday dinner. We shouldn't be talking about this at this time of the morning because it's getting me very, very hungry now. Thanks for joining us, Millie. Have a great British Beef Week. Thank you, Steve. I love a good steak, although I always upset foodies when I ask for it to be well done. I know, Philistine. Morning, Sean. How's the world of agronomy in these worryingly dry times? Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, things are really starting to get quite serious out here now at the pointed end. It's still frosty, we're still as dry as Gandhi's flip-flop and there's no rain in the forecast. And the reason it's so concerning is because of the time of year and what the plants try to do this time of year. Because as day length increases, as temperatures rise, albeit stutteringly this year, but we are seeing soil temperatures and day temperatures gradually starting to creep up, we see the plants doing their thing, reacting to those conditions. And Here, at this point, we should see that period of rapid spring growth beginning to get underway, and that's starting to happen. But when it comes cold, the plants just slow down the growth. But it's a different thing when it comes to the dry, when it comes to nutrient uptake, whether it's macros like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, or micronutrients like manganese, magnesium, zinc, iron, and all of the rest. You need water around the roots in order to help the plants grab hold of and access those nutrients. And that's why in a droughty situation, which to be fair is exactly where we are now, we've had less than 17 millimetres of rain since the 1st of March, that's eight weeks, magnesium is always one of the first nutrients to show up as a deficiency and magnesium like all the other nutrients needs that bit of moisture between the root and the soil otherwise you get deficiency and if you go out to any cereal crop and pull up a leaf and hold it against the light you'll see running the length of that leaf vertically you'll see dark green and and light green stripes as if someone's mown a lawn and that is magnesium deficiency and we can see it in every field of winter wheat winter barley spring wheat spring barley spring oats you name it we can see it not to mention broadleaf crops as well and when you get a deficiency of any nutrient it starts to inhibit other nutrients so it's important that they're corrected because what we're starting to see now is winter cereals in particular shutting down their older leaves in order to access and rob the nutrition from within them there are of course plenty of foliar feeds out there that we can apply to these plants but 
if it's stressy and droughty through lack of moisture like it is at the moment they're not going to be quite as efficient as you would perhaps hope that they would be it an inch of rain will solve at nearly every issue that i'm seeing out in the field at the moment not just nutritionally either because pea and bean weevil damage is getting worrying in some of these fields because with the dry conditions the plants aren't growing away from that damage quickly enough sugar beet being eaten off by larks linnets rabbits hares mice deer not to mention the frost damage which resulted from the mine minus fours and fives that we took in that run of frost over the last couple of weeks it may well yet result in some redrilling having to be carried out because of frost damage hopefully it'll just be cotyledons scorched from the frost where the tips of the cotyledons come off and then the new leaves we've seen it many many times start to grow away from it but once again in these dry droughty conditions the sugar beet is not only not growing away from the things that are chomping it off and eating it it's also not growing away from any of this frost damage. Still, at least there don't seem to be many aphids about. So sugar beet weed control, also very complicated because as the frost continue, staying out is still a very, very good idea. With it being so dry, of course, the weeds, with very few exceptions, aren't tearing up many trees either so waiting won't be a disaster and as soon as we do get a drop of rain the herbicide should reactivate that's assuming you put on a pre-em herbicide that'll reactivate the weeds will similarly flush they'll pick up that herbicide and start to be taken out by that herbicide but also you'll be able to see them flush and you can manage a small flush of young weeds far easier so i think the most important thing is just to keep an eye on what's happening be aware of what's happening constantly looking and planning is probably the best bet at the moment looking at what you did and when you did it last year will as always and with everything else be an absolute waste of time but the dewy nights are certainly enough to keep the yellow rust and the septoria interested in the wheat this season so timing your t1 is going to be vitally important as ever but it's to when leaf three is around 50 percent emerged is the best time to put it on and remember that size is deceptive as well as being important cut it open cut the plant open have a look at the ear peel back those leaf layers and count them because the later drilling even to the end of october very early november may well because of the stressy conditions and the way they grow pop leaf three out at growth stage 30 rather than leaf four and you won't know that by watching your neighbor spraying and wondering why you're not get out there and cut open these plants to get the best idea so all rather stressful for anybody involved in farming Sugar beet has yet to emerge in some fields up to peri-emergence where the first leaf buds are there sat in between the cotyledons. Watch that growth stage when it comes to sugar beet by the way with any herbicides. A lot of herbicides you can't put on until that point in order to make sure the crop's safe and just be extra cautious in these conditions. And of course peri-emergence as well is when the balance of the nitrogen historically goes on sugar beet. Now I'm not sure that these sugar beet crops have used an awful lot of what they've already been given considering we've only had 17 mill in the last eight weeks or so but if it's not urea that you're putting on and it's ammonium nitrate that's not going to go anywhere other than down so in these dry conditions i suppose that could go on similarly the second dose on a uh, malting barley crop you could put that on if it's ammonium nitrate again it's not going to go anywhere um, as it's it's too dry for it to, to wash through. Peas and beans, keep your eyes open for pea and bean weevils. Bright sunshine as well if you're considering putting bentazone on for weed control, but just be very careful in these stressy, droughty conditions. Be very careful and certainly don't put any wetters in with that bentazone. Spring cereals look a lot greener than their winter counterparts, and that's largely because they're not carrying all of that vegetation and shutting down older leaves to rob the nutrition. Most spring uh, cereal crops 
So somewhere between one and six leaves at best. But they're managing okay. But manganese magnesium deficiency is widespread in those crops. So correct it as and when you can. So it's dry, dry, dry. I think wasn't that the name of Marty Pello's brother's less successful band? I think I am actually going technically mad now, Steve. So look, there's two things. There's one thing for sure. The petrichor, which is the smell that the earth gives out after a long period of dry weather is broken by rain, will never smell as sweet as it smells this year in 2021. And also, with it being so dry, why not just make sure you leave wet, muddy puddles and patches and areas in your yards and on the margins and in your gardens so that the swallows and the martins have somewhere to find mud in order to make their nest because they're going to need all of our help in these dry conditions. So let's see what the next seven days bring. Thank you, Sean. All fingers are crossed for a lovely day on June the 27th. Why? Well, it's the return of Open Farm Sunday, which we missed dreadfully last year. Organised by LEAF, linking environment and farming, it's a great opportunity to connect with the non-farming public, explain what happens on farm and maybe dispel a few myths along the way. Annabelle Shackleton, Leaf Open Farm Sunday manager and local ambassador Andy Guy join us to explain from a farmer's point of view today what's involved. Annabelle first. We're asking farmers to invite the public onto their farm to show them their everyday activities which to the public it's a completely new experience for them. So they just love having the opportunity to meet a farmer and to see those everyday activities. And it doesn't have to be something big, does it? No, it certainly doesn't. If farmers want to organise a a big event, they're very welcome to, and we've certainly got some of our regular hosts who will be doing that. But as all of us are coming out of lockdown and we're still very mindful of COVID, uh, a socially distanced farm walk and talk can be very simple to organise. And so, yes, it, it does not have to be extravagant. It's just a case of thinking about those messages that a farmer wants to put across about their farming activities, talking about the crops from field to fork, how it interacts with people's lives, talking about the wildlife on the farm, how they manage the soils. Every farmer has a fabulous story to tell and the public are just desperate to hear it. Absolutely. Now, we're going to talk with Andy Guy, one of your new ambassadors in a moment or two. Uh, But you've organised an ambassadors event, haven't you? An opportunity for farmers to have a chat to their local representative and find out a little bit more about what goes on, what happens. You've organised some online meetings soon, haven't you? We certainly have, yes. The week beginning the uh, 10th of May, we have three events, one in the evening on the Monday, one at lunchtime on the Wednesday and at breakfast time on the Friday. And there are going to be Zoom meetings for any farmers who are interested in taking part. A selection of our ambassadors are going to be presenting each of those meetings, but it's, it's not a case of just listening. It's an opportunity to actually ask your questions, to listen to their top tips, find out how they would organise an event and what's been successful for them in the past. But also if you've got any concerns, anything that you want to talk about, and if you just want help in just taking those first steps, you know, it can be quite daunting. Lots of people hear about Open Farm Sunday and the larger events, but it can be quite daunting to think, well, where am I going to start? What's the best thing to do? And our ambassadors are there to hold farmers' hands to actually help them start making those decisions at the beginning to talk through the options and all the details are on our website farmsunday.org they're zoom events so they're all online anyone can uh, take part and uh, you need to book to attend via the website 
Right, let's bring in Andy Guy. Andy, you're, um, I was going to say, a new ambassador, but you've been an ambassador for Open Farm Sunday for a few years now, haven't you? I have. I hosted my first Open Farm Sunday, I think in 2006, probably. I think the first year. Did several of them on the trot myself until I finished farming and and then every year since I've helped out on another farm. So you've got a good perspective of this from both sides really haven't you from being a farmer and being part of Open Farm Sunday and and the organisation of it. Why is it so important for farmers to host such an event? Well you know I think it's probably never been more important than it is this year. It's a real opportunity for farmers to talk about how we grow our food and our fuel and our fibre, how we look after the countryside and our animals and an opportunity for folks who don't normally get out onto farms or don't know a farmer, they can get out and they can see the farming business kind of warts and all, you know. Now what if we've got a farmer who's never been involved in Open Farm Sunday before thinking where on earth do I start? What am I going to talk to people about? I think I mean, that's, that's an often a question that we've had in the past. Farmers think that, that their farm is just a plain ordinary farm and it's the same as the one next door. But if you're not used to looking at farms, you know, even the most straightforward farm is a fantastic place with all sorts of exciting stuff to talk about. Um, we've got world-beating standards of animal welfare if you're a livestock farmer. Uh, we've got fantastic stories to tell about the environment and the countryside and how we look after the landscape. And it, it can be big stuff and small stuff. You know, the folks that visit farms are fascinated by our combine harvesters and our tractors, but they're equally fascinated by the tiny bugs and beetles that we look after uh, in the hedgerows and in amongst our crops. Um, you know, there's a, there's a whole range of stuff to talk about. And I don't think there's a single farm in the country that hasn't got a fascinating story to tell. I don't think people understand or appreciate, maybe, the technology that's involved on farms these days. The level of technology is phenomenal and it's come on a long way just in the last few years since Leaf Open Farm Sunday has been running actually. We're using satellite technology to help us plant our seeds accurately and to make sure that we put our plant nutrients and our pesticides and chemicals in the right place so we don't pollute. We've got fantastic machines now that can tell us exactly how much of a crop grew in each part of the field so that we can target the way we plant our seed the following year. It's just endless. I'm going to throw a slight spanner in the works here. We saw, particularly over Easter, photos and reports of people straying from pathways, trampling all over crops, letting dogs off the lead and so on. We're going to be talking a few weeks closer to the event, aiming at some advice for the public. But have you got any advice for farmers to try and avoid this happening again? The pandemic has created a huge interest in the countryside, I think. And people who perhaps would have gone on holiday to far off lands have found themselves walking along the footpaths in in their locality now because they weren't allowed to travel further. And a lot of those people just don't know the countryside code and the rules of the countryside. So I'm sure most people that have wandered off the footpath or let their dogs go have done it without realising the impact of of what they're doing. And Open Farm Sunday is a great opportunity for us to talk about some of that stuff and explain just why it's so important that people follow the countryside code. Do you have any top tips for a farmer organising an event? My top tip is to start planning now. Start thinking about how you'll run the day, who you're going to need help from, uh, all that kind of thing. Maybe log into some of the webinars and and, um, Zoom meetings that LEAF are offering. So there's a great opportunity there to log into those without any commitment. You can just join in and listen if you want to or ask questions. And right across the country, there's people like me 
who are there to, to have a chat with you as well. So I'm very happy to have a conversation with somebody if they want to give me a ring or drop me an email. Very happy to talk about what's involved in organizing the day. But the top tip is to start planning good and early. I think it's going to be an unusual year this year, and we're suggesting that it might be a good year, actually, for a first year to dip your toe in the water, because we're suggesting that farmers go for kind of slightly smaller, socially distanced events this year. And to help that, we've got a booking system that's been set up. We're really encouraging all farmers to use a booking system so that you can manage the numbers that you've got on your visit. You know, whether you want to have just 25 people or 50 people or two groups in different times of the day, you can do whatever you want, and it's, it's still a really valuable and, and rewarding day. And that does help farmers have some idea as to what numbers they're likely to get. That's right. The second question I often get, the first question, as you said earlier on, is, well, what would I talk about? The second question is that I'm frightened I'm going to get a 1,000 people turn up, um, and that often puts people off, understandably. So using the ticketing service and managing the numbers really tightly gives you complete confidence that you're only going to get exactly what you expect and you can manage it accordingly. Thanks, Andy and Annabelle. That website address for information, contact details and links to next month's webinars is farmsunday.org. And we'll revisit Open Farm Sunday again a little closer to June the 27th with some info and guidance for visitors. Now let's see how the markets are this week with Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. The weather is becoming a large concern now as it threatens grain prospects across the globe. The US is experiencing a cold, dry snap in the Midwest and the Northern Plains, which stretches across the border into Canada. US plantings are off to a slow start and there are reports that high input prices and a lack of seed will preclude them from increasing their acreage despite the hike in prices. Northern and Western Europe are cold and dry, with only Russia and the Balkans getting any meaningful moisture, although there is a problem for the Russian farmers in central regions who are reseeding up to 20% of their wheat due to winter kill. Drought in Brazil is ongoing and will intensify as they enter their dry season, which starts in May, and private crop estimates are being revised down in some reports of a potential of 20 to 30%. Brazil has been importing maize from Argentina due to their disappointing first crop as domestic prices continue to rise, which will likely delay the start of their export programme to make sure that their domestic pipeline is restocked. The military build-up of Russian troops and warplanes in the Crimea and bases near the Ukraine is a worrying escalation of tensions, with reports of access to the Sea of Azoz via the Kurt Strait, a busy thoroughfare for Ukrainian grain vessels, being restricted, although this has not been confirmed. New crop prices in Russia have risen along with competing global benchmarks due to the uncertainty of the Russian tax calculation and the Russian farmers' reluctance to sell. Shippers are unwilling to take on any increased risk at the moment. Looking at barley, again, weather is the main concern. In most areas of the UK, they are now drilled up and waiting for some rain to help things along. Forecast sees high-pressure systems remaining for the next five to seven days, along with cool temperatures at night. Old crop markets remain in the narrow range, limited by shorts and what is available. New crop markets are seeing some renewed interest and support as the weather factor plays its part on both the malting and the feed complex, seeing fresh support from other commodities. For any values, please speak to your open field farm business manager. Oilseed rate. The past week has seen new news that Canada has brought two new Ukrainian cargoes of oilseed rape, which have also supported the market. The vegetable complex is also seeing a boost on the back of the rising palm oil, hitting a new all-time highs and rising soy and rape oil prices. 
Dry and cold weather in the US has been slow planting progress and raising fears of those crops that are already in the ground. China published their guidelines for the reduction of corn and soya meal usage in the pig and poultry feed industry to try and reduce its reliance on the imports but seemingly pushing demand back into other commodities. Markets have seemingly so far taken this in their stride. UK domestic markets have seen restricted gains on old crop as limited liquidity makes it difficult to see where the true market values are. Most rape is now being sold on an ad hoc basis given that petite futures are trading in a technical manner. Old crop markets have seen a value gain following the future markets higher over the period. So looking at prices this week, for feed wheat, April 203 to 206, for May 204 to 207. Moving forward to new crop August off the combine, 179 to 181, and November 184 to 186. Milling wheat premiums for group one bread making wheat for new crop are in the region of £20. Feed barley for April 164 to 167, May 165 to 168. Off the combine new crop August 155 to 158 and November 163 to 166. Malting barley premiums for old crop are circa £20 for a 185 nitrogen. Oilseed rape 424 to 428 for April, May 428 to 432. And moving forward into new crop, August 412 to 417 and November 422 to 426. Thank you very much, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, a little bit of good news. There is the prospect of some rain through the middle of the week. Lord knows we need it. Sunday and Monday continue dry, though, with just a gentle breeze from the northwest today and more variable tomorrow. Highs of 11 Celsius for Sunday and a couple of degrees warmer tomorrow. Frost is likely again tonight with lows down to freezing point, but that should be it until the end of the week. Tuesday to Thursday, see some rain forecast. Hurrah! It's a start, but probably not enough to make a big difference. Maybe a centimetre spread over the three days. Cooler daytimes through midweek, with highs staying in single figures, and mild northerly winds mostly also staying in single figures. Well, that's it for this week. Health and safety, maize, crime, and a nutrition-promoting cow on next week's farming programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Hope you can join me then. Meanwhile, have a safe and productive farming week.